Well, good morning. As R.C. Uh, shared, my name is Brian, and I've been here at the creek for about a year and a half or so. I think it was at the end of, of last summer that we started coming. Uh, my wife and I have been members here for about a year. And as R.C. shared, though, man, there are many of you I have not met yet. Um, a year and a half, a year or so, that it seems like a long time. And there's still times I show up and I look around, I'm like, no, I still don't know so many people here. It's so hard to get to know one another especially for somebody like me. I'm an introvert. And at this point, I would ask any introverts, raise your hands, but I know you won't, so we won't do that. Extroverts, raise your hands. <laughs> Seeing everybody who didn't raise their hand, you guys are like me. Um, and it's hard. As an introvert, especially, it is so hard. Now, again, a true introvert just means we're not socially awkward. Uh, we don't dislike people. It's just hard for us to approach new people. It's hard for us to engage in small talk. Um, I would rather us sit down and start talking about the doctrine of the Trinity right off the bat, but I know a lot of people aren't into that. Um, it's hard for me to talk about the weather. It's hard for me to talk about, you know, how Christmas was. That, that small talk that is just so hard for an introvert because we're always wondering where the conversation needs to go next. And we're trying to think through and plan out and map out this potential conversation so that we're not left in this awkward position where we don't know what to say. And so it is challenging for me, and I have to fight against this, and I don't do well a lot of times. Last week I came, my family was sick, so I came to this service, and I came in and left without saying hi to anyone. And my wife said, are you sure you're the one that's supposed to be preaching on that next week? <laughs> um, it is, so I fail at this quite a bit. Last week was a failure. Um, but here's the thing. Although I'm an introvert, I know that I need to be in a position where I am meeting people. Um, I, I know that God has designed it so that I am to be in relationship with other people. Now, as an introvert, um, and you extroverts also can echo this one, I, I really appreciate the internet and social media because it allows me to keep in touch with people in a different way. Um, you know, phone, I can't stand talking on the phone. I, when my phone rings, I cringe. Um, I would rather text you. I'm good with that. I'd rather email. I'd rather send up a smoke signal. Um, I'd rather send a Facebook message or something. So technology has afforded so many of us the opportunity to converse with people, to interact with people, to continue relationships with people in ways that we have not had in the past. And this is a great thing because we are more connected than ever before. I mean, think about Facebook which I understand now is an old person's thing. I heard the other day that, that kids are saying Facebook is for old people, so I'm really old. Um, Facebook allows us to connect with friends. Think about this. All over the world, instantly, and we can recover friendships that, you know, may, you know from, from our childhood, we can kind of, you get that Facebook notification, that friend request from somebody you have not talked to in 30, 40 years or something like that. It's amazing that we have this, I mean, back in the day, we'd have to sit there, and, and if you had their address, you'd have to write them a letter or call them. Um, and so this gives us this way to continue relationships with people that we have not been able to in the past. Think about Twitter and Instagram. It takes it to another level. Because of Twitter and Instagram, we can step into the lives of celebrities, um, athletes, famous people, Right? And it feels like we know them, especially when they responded to that one tweet back in 2012. We can feel like we know these people and have relationship with these people, although we've never met them in person. 
Think about what the internet allows us to do where we don't have to see people eye to eye any longer. I mean, you can pretty much buy a house today all online. A house. That's a major purchase. You can do almost all online. Think about it. You, you can find a realtor by, by just, you know, looking at some realtor websites and so forth. You can find a lender the same way. You can, you can complete your uh, paperwork for your loan online digitally and, and email it off. Then you can go to realtor.com, a website like that, and, and find potential houses um, and, and kind of look at them. Anybody hear of this new pl- platform called Open Door? Open Door, it's an app, um, apparently, that if you sign up, if you're part of this system, if you're a house, you, you go with this, this app on your phone. You can go to this house, my wife and I did it, and you enter this code, and it unlocks the door, and you get to go in and look at the house by yourself. You don't need anyone else there. You don't need your realtor there with you anymore. You can look at a house by yourself. Um, how wonderful is that? Um, and then, once you find that house you kind of think you like, you can Facebook stalk all the neighbors to find the weird ones, you know, and learn all about them, kind of learn what's going on. And then if you decide, hey, the weird ones are okay, you know, we, we can do this, you, you can contact your realtor and, and do all the negotiations through texting or emails or whatever. Um, again, you can sign the contract. Um, theoretically, you can sign it online and share it with Google Docs or something like that. So really, the only thing you might need to do in person is actually pick up the physical keys. You can buy a house today without really ever interacting with somebody. And so we are always connected today. Some of you are probably itching to check your, uh, your social media right now as I'm mentioning it. Um, we're always connected. We have hundreds or thousands of friends But here's the question, how many of these people do we really know? And how many of them really know us? You see, because the sad truth is this, studies have shown that the more we're connected with people digitally, the less we're connected with people in real life. You tracking with that? The more we have connected with people digitally, the less we have connected with them in real life. We are disconnected from others more today than ever before. It's counterintuitive, but it's true. And as a result, we are finding ourselves lonelier than ever before. And in fact, there's this new concept called being alone together. Anybody hear of that? Alone together. It sounds like an oxymoron, but it's true. Um, you experience this every time you get on the elevator, don't you? I do. I get on the elevator at work and there are other people, I immediately get my phone out and start scrolling. We're together, but we're not. We're alone. My family does this. The other day, I, I walked into my living room, and, and my three kids were, were there in the living room, and, uh, and they were all there together, but each and every one had their heads down in a device. They're alone together. And so I said to my wife, I said, man, we, we've really got to get our arms around this because I'm afraid our kids are going to grow up and they're going to look back and think, what was my childhood like? Well, I remember vaguely my brothers and sisters when I looked up from my device. Alone, together. You know, this is harmful for us. As, as it, you know, it, it's not hard to figure this out, but this is not good for us as individuals. It's not good for us in our relationships as a, as a society, as a culture. Um, we're craving relationships. We're still craving. That's why we're on social media and so forth. But the problem is that social media in many ways seems like it has stunted our growth in terms of being able to develop friendships and relationships. Many of us don't know how to start relationships. We don't know how to maintain them. 
But it's even more than that. As harmful as this is for us relationship-wise, listen to this. A 2010 study has revealed that being lonely has the same harmful impact on your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. The same mortality rate effect. If you are lonely, it's as if you are smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Now, if you're lonely and smoking 15 cigarettes a day, I don't know how you're here today. <laughs> this is serious stuff. And, and so as you, as you track with this, I hope you're like me, and you're like, all right, well, so what's the solution? What, what do we do? I don't want to be lonely. I don't want to be cut off socially. I, I don't want to be unhealthy. What do we do? And, and so one of the, the knee-jerk reactions is, well, let's forego social media. That's the answer. Social media has brought a lot of this about. Let's just turn it off. And I know people have done that. They've shut off social media. And and you know what? I'm I'm not going to speak against that, but I don't know if we have to do that. I think it's certainly wise that that we are wise about our consumption of social media. But I don't necessarily think that is the answer. See, because the way I look at this situation and, and the way I try to look at every situation is through a biblical worldview. See, this solution is not rooted in a problem that comes from technology. This is not a technology problem. This is not a problem because we have tablets and so forth. This is is not even a modern problem. Listen to this quote. A friend is long sought, hardly found, and with difficulty kept. You know who said that? A church father named Jerome who lived in 347 to 420 A.D. This problem is not new, and Jerome did not have Facebook to worry about. So when I look at this problem, I have to look for a biblical solution to a, what's at the heart of it, a biblical, a gospel problem. And what I believe here is that we're seeing the ramifications of us being disconnected from one another because we've become disconnected with our identity and who God has made us to be, who he designed us to be who he created us to be. And so the answer that I want us to explore today is found in the gospel, which is, of course, why we turn to Scripture. And a good place, I think, to start would be Genesis 2.18, at our creation. Now, up to this point in Genesis, God has created everything and has declared everything to be good. And so he created the planets, and he said the planets are good. You see this refrain as you read through the Genesis account. Um, The sun, the moon, and the stars are declared to be good by God. The oceans and the land is good. The plants and the animals are good. And this one guy named Adam is created, and he is declared to be good. Meaning everything met God's designed standard. God created everything with a purpose, and everything he created fulfilled that purpose. That's why it was good. But then we get to Genesis 2.18, and for reading this, the cadence is broken. It was good, it was good, it was good. But look what we see in 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good. And so immediately, our, our, we should perk up. So, uh-oh, something's different here. What is it? It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So one thing in creation was not good. Now, that does not mean that God created Adam with a flaw. Hear me. God is perfect. Everything God does is perfect. What it meant was that there was one way that Adam was not experiencing his fulfilling purpose in life. And that one way, of course, was that he was alone. 
that creation was incomplete if it were just Adam created. And God knew in his wisdom, in his kindness, that Adam needed more. He had a perfect relationship with God, Adam did, but God knew that Adam needed relationship with others like him. And so in his kindness, he gave Adam Eve, a companion. And that's the same thing he wants for us. He created us for community. Similarly, it would not be good for us to live in isolation. But this screams the question of why. I mean, think about it. Adam had a perfect relationship with God, a relationship that we could only dream of. Come on. You guys are like me. I know this, that there are times you're just struggling. You're like, why can't I spend more time in the Word? Why, can't, why is praying so difficult? Why does it seem like God is so distant at times? I, I, I want to know Him better, and it's so hard. And we think about the relationship that Adam had, a perfect relationship with God, no barriers, nothing. Complete intimacy with God. And yet God said, that is not enough. This should cause us to really lean in close and pay attention to what God is teaching us in this. So why wasn't it sufficient? Well, turn back a page with me and we find the answer in Genesis 1. So Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are complementary but different views of the same creation account. Genesis 1 is is the higher view, if you will. It starts out very broad, very general. Genesis 1 is what we usually think of with the creation account. Genesis 2, what what the writer does is he zooms in. Moses writing this. He zooms in, and he gives the same account just in more detail. And so let's take the zoomed-out Genesis 1 account of 1 verse 27, the creation of man, and we're going to see why it was insufficient for Adam just to be in relationship with, with God. This is what it says in Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So here we see that we are created to be in community. We need to be in community. Hear that. Because we are created in the image of God. God created us to reflect him in creation. Our nature echoes God's nature in certain ways. One of the most important doctrines of God, but one of the most difficult and challenging, is the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is is a deep doctrine. I get that. We will never fully understand it. Um, But we need to at least try to because it's critical for us to understand what's going on here and so many other things about our faith in Christ as well. So the doctrine of the Trinity, just just in a nutshell, of course, is that God has eternally existed. One God has eternally existed in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This means that God, by nature, is relational. Do you see that? Because God is one in three persons who have eternally related with one another, he's relational by nature. It's in his DNA, so to speak. That God from eternity past has enjoyed perfect relationship with himself. Perfect love, perfect harmony, perfect acceptance within himself. Which, by the way, tangently, blows to pieces this myth that God created us because he was lonely. Because he needed somebody to love. No, he did not. He had perfect love within himself. He created us to be the overflow. 
to invite us in to what he's experienced for eternity and will experience for eternity. So God's divine nature here is the pattern for our relationships. See, connecting with others is hardwired into our souls because it's hardwired into God's character. And because of this, we will never experience the fullness of life that God intends. We, we will never glorify God the way that he intends. We'll never reflect his image the way we're created to be if we're living in isolation. If we're out of true gospel community, we, we will not be able to do those things. So hear me. If you don't hear anything else today, hear this. Community for us as believers in Christ is not an option. It's not for the spiritually elite. It's not the icing on the cake. God is not pleased with me last week when I bebopped in here and sat down and listened and worshiped for an hour and then left without saying anybody. That's not being in community. That was, I was alone together last week. Community is not an option. It's a necessity. So here's the question. If community is so important, if it is hardwired into us, why aren't more of us experiencing deep gospel community the way he intends? And I think the answer is very simple. It's a very short one-word answer. It's called sin. Sin is the barrier that hinders us from being in community the way that God has intended so many times. Don't we see this in Genesis 3? I mean, Genesis 3, right after what we just looked at, is, is of course, the fall. And what happens immediately after the fall? Right after sin, what's the, what's the immediate consequence? Adam and Eve hide themselves from God. But that's not it, is it? What do they do with each other? They hide from one another. They're ashamed of themselves. They realize they're naked. They're ashamed, and so they hide from one another. There's a barrier in their relationship. Then when God addresses Adam, Adam, what happened? What did Adam do? This man of God, this, this first created, the perfectly created man, he throws his wife under the bus immediately, right out of the gate. Eve made me do it. We see in Genesis 3 the immediate repercussions of sin is a broken relationship with God and broken relationships with one another. That's why we do not experience relationship the way we have been created to experience them, which is why Christ came. Christ came to restore our relationships, plural. We normally think of Christ coming to, to bring us into relationship with God, right? Christ came so that we can trust in him and be right with God. And that is true, and, and, and we could argue that's paramount. But that's not it. It's incomplete, hopefully, as you can see from Genesis 1 and 2. Christ came not so that we could just be in relationship with God again. He came so that we could be in relationship with others again. That our relationships in the vertical and horizontal planes could be restored. See, salvation for us and God is individual. Let's be clear about that. You're not saved today because your parents were saved. You're not saved because your spouse is saved. You're saved only if you have trusted in Jesus Christ personally, period. It's not, God does not save a people plural. He saves individuals, but he saves individuals into a people plural. He saves us into a community of faith. This is why if you look at scriptures, you see over and over again <clears throat> that God deals with our salvation individually, but he also deals with us corporately. He talks about a people, the church over and over and over again. 
Both of these levels matter. In Christ, we are restored as image bearers. And as we've seen, bearing the image of God means that we're right with him, but we're also right with one another so we can reflect his image properly. But this is not automatic. Let's be clear about this. When, when I trusted in Christ, when I was a, when I was a, a young child, um, in that instant, in that nanosecond, when I placed my trust in Christ, um, I was forgiven of all my sin and made righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Um, I received the righteousness of Christ, as have you, if you have trusted in Christ. And in that nanosecond, your relationship with God in the positional level was made perfect. We are positionally right with God again, and nothing can change that. But we also know that through living experience, that, man, it's a struggle to, to follow God, right? It's a struggle to love him. We have to grow in our relationship. That's what discipleship is about. So we know it's a struggle. Well, when it comes to our relationship with people, when we trust in Christ, we are immediately positionally put, pulled into the church. We become part of the church, the body of Christ. Positionally, we are one of the members of the body of Christ globally. But it's the same way. We still have to work at expressing this as living this out day to day. And so for us, the challenge is to push past sin, to push past American individualism. For me as an introvert, push past these things and fight for community. So let me kind of cover three brief ways as we go toward the stretch. Three ways uh, that we need to fight for community, and I'm going to leave you with three action points. So here are the three ways. First, we need to seek diversity in gospel community. Seek diversity in gospel community. Colossians 3, 9 through 14 begins this way. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So in this passage, what Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is doing is he is revealing to us the changes that are brought about by the gospel. That because of the finished work of Christ and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, we are a changed people. We live differently. We can finally turn from sin and walk in obedience for the first time as followers of Christ. And what he wants to make clear here is that this change is universal. And verse 11 emphasizes this, doesn't it? The gospel is the great unifier. Sin divides, but the gospel brings us together. There are many ways that we can find to define ourselves and divide ourselves. We're good at that as people. But the gospel says, no, 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 there's one people, the elect, the forgiven. That's it. The gospel shatters all these ways we define and divide ourselves, and it fuses us together. Notice that verse 11 mentions this, this group of people called the Scythian. You, you may not be familiar with those uh, people. It was a group that was around in the New Testament period. They lived north of the Black Sea, and they were despised. They were looked down upon. Uh, they were wretched, violent, uneducated. They were looked down upon more than barbarians were, which is saying quite a bit. Why does Paul mention them there? I believe he singles them out and mentions them because he wants to shock the listener of that first century church. What he's doing there is, is he is mentioning the Scythians to show the power of the gospel. That the gospel is powerful enough to save anybody, even a Scythian. That's the beauty of the gospel, that no one 
No one is beyond God's grasp. In Christ, we are all brought together. All of us are brought together as brothers and sisters. So if we pull this into a modern context, our takeaway, of course, is, well, how are we viewing other people? How are we at welcoming other people when they come into the creek here with us? Are, are we looking to accept everyone or just some people, certain people? And if we think about modernizing this idea of the Scythian, we would think about a terrorist or a mass murder probably would be the closest thing today. So if, think about it this way. If you're in a life group, and I hope you are a small group, we're going to talk about how you can fix that if you're not. But if you're in a life group and, and this next week coming up, you had a known terrorist or a mass murderer show up and said, hey, um, guys, uh, I'm here because God's doing something in my life. Can I study God's word with you? How do, how, honestly, how would we respond? And that, that's what Paul is trying to get to us through the Holy Spirit's inspiration of shocking us to consider how do we view other people. But, you know, we don't have to be that extreme. You can just think about it this way. What, what if somebody of a different skin color came in to our fellowship or your life group? For some of you, that's something you got to deal with. What if somebody from a socioeconomic class different from yours? Somebody who's clearly dressed differently. It doesn't smell the best. How do we respond? What if somebody from a different political party came in? How would we respond? Some of you, it may be more basic. Somebody from a different college, you know, somebody rooting for the other college. How would we respond to people when they come in? Guys, our country is divided. I don't have to tell you that. You know this. Race and politics are the two ways I would say our country is, is incredibly divided. Um, some of us would say more than ever before, but that may be hyperbole. I think every generation, every, we constantly say that. Ten years from now, we'll be saying the same thing probably because of sin. Sin divides. And this is where the gospel compels us to live counterculturally. The gospel compels us to live in an appealing way in our land to make known God's glory. We are to be the fragrance of Christ in a land filled with the stench of death, sin, and decay. So what if we did this? What if we welcomed and sought all people? What, what if we became agents of change in our church, in our small groups, in our culture? What if we expressed the beauty of the gospel in our diversity, in our fellowships, and in our small groups? Instead of trying to find a small group where everybody looks just like you, what if we said, no, no, I want to push through that. I want to find a small group where people are different so we can reflect what the gospel does and we can learn from one another and grow with one another. What if we did that? What impact might we make? God's heart and calling is for us to live with people who are different from us. Read Revelation 7, the end of the story. It's a beautiful picture of diversity. Why don't we start doing that now? The second and third idea, real quick, is, is we should express authenticity and perseverance in gospel community. You guys hear about something called Post Secret? Post Secret was, was founded by a guy named um, Frank Warren. Basically, what he did is he sent out a bunch of postcards and asked people to share through writing or drawing their deepest, darkest secret. And can you believe people actually did this? They anonymously would send back postcards with their deepest, darkest secret. And what began with you know, hundreds or thousands of postcards has become millions 
millions of people have completed one of these postcards and shared them. And now there are books about this. There's a website. You can see these. They have conferences where people get together to talk about their secrets. And this is what Warren said about why people are doing this. He says, they're all expressing the same taboos and longing and heartbreak and hope. We think that secrets separate us and make us different, but if you find the courage to share them, we shatter that illusion. We see that secrets aren't walls. They're bridges. You see it? Authenticity is a bridge that is designed to bring us together. Guys, when I read this, my first thought was, the world is putting us to shame because the world is doing better at this than we in the church are. We in the church, we should hear this and our response should be big, fat, hairy deal. We do that every single day. That's the norm for us as the people of God. We live authentically with one another. But the reason why we don't, the reason why this does jar us, the reason why we aren't more authentic and transparent with one another is because we're real afraid. We're we're real afraid of what others will think. If, If we share that struggle, if we share that doubt, what are others going to think? I'm going to explode this myth that I'm the perfect Christian, and I don't want to let on that I'm not perfect. Guys, two things. One, it doesn't matter what they think. You hear me? It doesn't matter what others think. What matters is what God thinks of you. As I said, when God looks at you, if you've trusted in Christ, he only loves you. He only accepts you completely and fully. Because when he sees you, he sees his son overshadowing you. Perfect acceptance. There's nothing to fear. Perfect love. There's no shame in that. And if, and if other people who call themselves followers of Christ do not love you and receive you well when you're authentic with them, it's sin on their part. That's all it is. Don't let their sin hinder you from doing what you have been called to do in Christ. And so for us, I think the takeaway is clear that when somebody does share something, that next time we're in a small group or, or out in the hall or whatever, and somebody does share that struggle or, or that doubt or whatever— Let's receive that with the love and humility of Christ. Let's encourage that, not shun people for doing that. Because the reality is we're all works in progress, and our issues should unite us, just like those post-secrets. They should unite us, not divide us. Paul understood that diversity and authenticity can cause challenges as watch he continued in Colossians 3, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Notice that phrase, bearing with one another. The Holy Spirit, through Paul, is saying this. I get it. Community is not easy. True community, when we push past superficial and plastic levels, true community is challenging. And we live in a culture where commitment is lacking. Look at, at marriage rate, you know, how long marriages last. Look at home ownership. The days are over where you'd buy a home and live in it for the rest of your lives and give it to your kids. Look at jobs. We change jobs a lot. We're going to see this in February in gyms and health clubs, aren't we? They're going to be filled in January, December, or by February. Everybody's going to give up on that. Commitment is lacking in our culture, and that carries over into the church. We bring that so often. So we're in a small group, and something gets weird. 
or somebody does something we don't like, what do we do? Our our gut is to walk away. Our gut is to leave, to give into this. But Paul is telling us here, no, 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 no. You don't walk away. That's not what the people of God do. The people of God, we work through things. We bear with one another. Because we are to be a people of reconciliation. Because we are people who have been reconciled to God through Christ. And my friends, there is deep beauty in reconciliation. It's countercultural. It is the fruit of the gospel. Sin divides. The gospel brings together. The gospel reconciles us to one another. And we can hold that as a banner in our culture that is sick and divided. And we, as the people of God, can show, no, this is the power of the gospel. The gospel is the answer for what we're experiencing as a culture. It's not political rallies. It's not laws. It's the gospel. And we're showing you that because we are working through differences. We don't get along at times. There are things we don't like about each other. But in Christ, we work through it because we have the one thing in common, the power of the gospel that unites us no matter what. And so in love and humility... And I ask this of myself as well. Who do you need to extend forgiveness to today? Who do you need to ask forgiveness of? Are you fighting for reconciliation? Or are you being passive? Three quick takeaways as, as we wrap up. Again, being in gospel community is hard. I... I, I, I We can't deny that, but I hope that you've seen it's worth it because without being a community, again, we won't reflect God's image the way we've been created. Isolation is not good for us. And without people to challenge us to fight sin, we're going to give in to sin all the more. Listen to this quote from a Puritan named George Swinnick. He says, Woe to him that is alone. David was alone when Satan drew him to defile his neighbor's wife. While the sheep flock together, they are safe as being under the shepherd's eye. But if one straggle from the rest, it is a quickly a prey to the ravenous wolf. It is no hard matter to rob that house that stands far from neighbors. The cruel pirate Satan watches for those vessels that sail without a convoy. That's a good word. You know, one of the things I love about LifePoint, one of many things, is that LifePoint values a good convoy. They value us living life together. They understand the importance of community, which is why we're seeing this effort again in the weeks ahead to draw us into community, to give us these opportunities we're going to talk about in a second, to be in community with one another. And let me be clear about this. The heart of LifePoint, as as clearly as I can see it, is not because they want us to be busy. It's not because they say, you know what, let's just burden these people's lives. Let's just pile things on them and stress them out and give them something else to worry about. That's, that note is the exact opposite of that. And their motivation is not so that they look good as a church, that they can go and hang out with other pastors and staffs and say, hey, look how many we have in small groups. How many do you have? That's not it either. The heart behind our leadership to position us for community is because they understand what we've just talked about today, that we need to be in community. That is good for us as individuals. It's good for us as a fellowship. And our Cities, Smyrna, the borough, and beyond needs us to be in community together. 
That's why we have all these opportunities. So three quick ways that you, three steps you can take practically. The first one is this. On January 13th, there's a membership uh, meeting or a membership class coming up that talks about what membership is, January 13th. If you're not a member of this church and you've been attending for a while, you feel called to, to that, let me encourage you, let me implore you, go, go to that meeting, check it out, go hear what membership is, why it matters. Guys, membership is so vital. I'm proud to be a member of this church. That's one thing when my wife and I realized that we were going to land here, that's one of the first things we did. We said, hey, what do we do about becoming members? Why? Because we get, you know, a certain rights or privileges? No. Because we wanted to take a stand with this, our fellowship, our family, and say, we're one of you. We're together in this. And we're placing ourselves under the leadership of LifePoint. That's what being a member is. So if you've been coming here for quite a while and have not done membership, I encourage you, move past dating. Make a commitment. Membership. The second thing are life groups that are starting in January. And again, on the 13th and 20th, there are going to be opportunities for you to um, check those out. There are going to be leaders of new groups that are starting for the first time, brand new groups. Some of you may say, man, I wanted to be in a small group, a life group. But man, if I understand, they're already going and stepping into a group that's existing is kind of weird. Um, man, don't worry. They're starting brand new groups from scratch. Or maybe you do want to step into a group that's already going. Check out those times on the 13th and 20th. Learn and hear. Meet some people. Commit. Get plugged into a small group, a life group. The third is classes. You have, um, when you came in, you should have got one of these Next Steps brochures. There are some out back uh, that RC is going to mention in a minute when I wrap up. Um, this is a brochure that has all these different short-term classes for all different kinds of people groups, women, men, uh, marriage, I mean, everything. Shorter term, yes, but it's still community together. Guys, community matters because without it, we're not fulfilling our created purpose. Father, I thank you for the opportunity we had to look into your word and understand, hopefully, prayerfully, your heart of community, what it is, why it matters. God, I thank you for calling us not into only relationship with you, as, as wonderful as that is, but you've called us into relationship with one another. That because of Christ, we have the opportunity to build relationships that the world cannot fathom. That we have the opportunity to live life together in, in a oneness, in ways that unbelievers do not understand, because Christ, you fuse us together. And God, I pray that as a, as a fellowship that we are striving to do that, that every day we are walking more closely with you, which is driving us to walk more closely with one another. God, let us pursue authenticity. Let us pursue diversity. Let us pursue perseverance for your glory and honor. It's in the matchless name of Christ I pray. Amen.